You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Grocery shopping with my wife is not my idea of spending my day off. It's just not one of those activities that I go, oh, I can't wait till we go grocery shopping. But I do like my wife, and so if she needs to make a grocery run on one of my, you know, when I have, a time, when I have time off, I usually go with her. And when I was younger, there were always these opportunities where I would try to sneak something into the buggy, you know. Not a lot of items, just a few things. The occasional box of Lucky Charms or Captain Crunch, you know, man food. Uh, a box of Entenmann's Donuts or Krispy Kremes or maybe the occasional frozen pizza. And my wife, if you know her, that's a great way to draw her ire. For a couple reasons. One, I never bothered to check and see how much these items cost. I just didn't. I was too busy trying to sneak them into the cart to pay attention to how much they cost. The type of behavior that I was exhibiting was one in which my wife could easily become irritated with me over. She didn't like seeing things scanned that weren't on her list. Now, it may have been on my list, but that list didn't really matter to her. She had the list. You should know this about my wife. When she goes to the grocery, she's on a mission Anne is the woman whose goal it is to always buy whatever it is she's buying with a coupon while it's on sale. My actions, not even remotely close to that. In fact, my actions would always throw off our grocery budget. And she had little patience for for me wanting to buy things without at least checking to see what the cost is. I have to tell you that it's been a few years since I try to pull those stunts. And I was thinking about it. Maybe, maybe it's better to negotiate with the, the list keeper than try to subvert them. The truth is, I'm never going to go back to that. It was scary. We cont- we're continuing our series today called Breaking the Code, where we've been studying parables to, with the attempt to learn what the hidden meaning in those parables is. And today we're going to look at two parables that focus on counting the cost. Counting the cost. Just in the spirit of review, I thought we would take a look back at just a little bit of this whole idea of what a parable is. The English word parable comes from a Greek word that means to place beside. A parable is a story that places one thing beside another thing for the purpose of teaching. It takes something that's familiar and puts it next to something that's unknown so that we can learn about the unknown thing. By using parables, Jesus was seeking to spark interest and awaken those whose spiritual senses had grown dull. By telling stories with hidden meanings, Jesus was arousing the interest of his listeners. So, there are two parables that we're studying today, and they're found in Luke, the 14th chapter, starting with verse 28. So, if you have your Bible or your mobile device, you want to turn to that, hold that in readiness. But before we get to the actual text, 
I wanted to get a, a little bit of background to set up the teaching in which these parables were, were flowing out of. Huge crowds were following Jesus. A lot of enthusiasm. But Jesus is not impressed with their excitement, with all of this enthusiasm. He knew that most of those in this crowd weren't the least bit interested in spiritual things. Oh, they, they had things that they wanted. Some wanted only to see miracles. Others heard that he fed the hungry and they wanted to be fed. And there were a few who hoped that he would overthrow the Roman government and usher in King David's promised kingdom. They were expecting the wrong things. They envisioned Jesus to be like a genie in a bottle who needs to do what we want him to do. But Jesus, he turns to the multitude and he preached a sermon that deliberately thinned out the ranks of his followers. He made it crystal clear that when it comes to personal discipleship, he is more interested in his disciples being all in and totally committed to his cause, to his purposes. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. That goes without saying, I think. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end at salvation. It's just the beginning. You see, he wants every convert to become a disciple of his. Now, disciple is a term that's defined as a learner who attaches himself or herself to a teacher in order to learn a trade or a subject. Today's equivalent would be an apprentice, one who learns by watching and then by doing. The word disciple was the most common name used to describe the followers of Jesus. It's actually used 264 times in the four Gospels and also the book of Acts. And one thing that you're going to see this morning is that Jesus puts a high priority on being a disciple of his. And he cautions us not to take discipleship lightly. Don't just mail it in. Don't just coast as a disciple. In these parables that we're going to look at, he made it clear that there is a cost to being his disciple. And he wants us to count the cost. So what is that cost? Well, if we go to our text and we back up two verses, we'll read those two verses and kind of get a running start into these two parables. Jesus explains the cost, and then we'll see the reason why he gave these two parables. So if you'll indulge me, let's look at Luke 14, verses 26 and 27. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, take note of this word hate that's important here, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, (coughs) excuse me, and even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Most of us would probably agree that this is some pretty intense language that Jesus uses here. Possibly the most extreme that he could use in order to show the degree of the cost we, have to, we may have to pay in order to be his disciple. There's two extreme statements or ideas that he makes in this, these few verses. The first extreme is he says, I'm calling you to something that is going to look like hatred of wife and children and parents etc. 
The emphasis here in this extreme part, this extreme idea, is that we must love Christ supremely, even more than we love our own family and our own body. The word hate, it doesn't suggest antagonism towards our loved ones or even towards our own physical body, but rather it means to love them less. Our love for Christ must be so strong that all other loves look like hatred in comparison. That's a deep love. And that's what Jesus says he expects from us. There's an ex- a second extreme statement or idea, and it's, I'm calling you to take up a cross. Which means, and everyone knew this in the first century, it meant a willingness to die an excruciating death. You see, that's what the cross represented. It represented death. So what does it mean to carry your cross? It means daily identification with Jesus' shame, his sufferings, and the surrendering to God's will, the plans that he has for you. It means death to self, to your own plans and ambitions, and a willingness to serve him as he directs you. In John 12, verses 25 and 26, Jesus gives more explanation of this idea. Listen to what he says. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the ones, the one who serves me. The one thing you will gather as Jesus talks about discipleship is that from Jesus' perspective, discipleship is serious business. There's only one way of being a true disciple, and that is by being all in with Jesus. Now, he's not asking you to do anything more than what he is willing to do and what he has already done. But he said that's the standard. So counting the cost of discipleship means realizing that authentic discipleship requires from you the highest price, both relationally and physically. So with all of that as kind of a launching pad, let's read these two parables that he gives us in Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In these two parables, Jesus is calling people to follow him as disciples. And he's reminding them that Considering following him is like building a tower that you don't want to leave half-finished because you don't have enough commitment 
or enough resources to finish it. Or he said it's like going to war and realizing that you don't have enough soldiers to win the battle and defeat the enemy. So you'll send a group to make peace. I was thinking about this idea for a while. And I was trying to think of a modern day example of these two parables. And there are lots of examples of it. But maybe the most expensive and embarrassing failures to count the cost started in 1977, just 35 miles northeast of Louisville, when the construction began on what was known as the Marble Hill Nuclear Power Plant Project. That's a mouthful. Public Service Indiana, or PSI, proposed the concept of a power plant in 1973 with the initial estimated cost at $700 million. That's a lot. Remember that number, $700 million. In September of 1977, just four years later, public hearings were held regarding the escalating costs of this project. During the hearings, it was learned that the estimated costs for the site had doubled to $1.4 billion. Despite the hike in these prices, plans moved forward and construction began in late fall of 1977. By 1981, revised cost estimates by PSI had eclipsed $3.4 billion. Estimates were then revised upward once more in 1983 to $5.1 billion. And finally, in late 1983... The Indiana governor ordered a study of the Marble Hill project. The resulting report estimated the project would cost $7.7 billion to complete. They were only off $7 billion in their initial estimates. The findings of the study also came with this recommendation that they abandon the project. Really? They didn't want to hold taxpayers in Indiana accountable for the increased future costs. So on, February, or on January the 10th, 1984, PSI canceled the Marble Hill Nuclear Power Plant project. The plant was never fully operational, despite $2.8 billion being spent. The project was a huge expense, some would say a huge waste, but an even greater embarrassment to the government of Indiana. So Jesus says, as a result of this teaching, be sure to count the costs, or you'll end up with a Marble Hill project on your hands. Be sure to count the costs before you sign up for discipleship with him, because it's costly. He wants you to know that up front. No bait and switch. He wants you to know He's saying, I don't want you to sign up naively and be surprised someday when the cost is really high. The cost of following him, it is really high at times. That's the gist of this message. So how do you count the cost when you don't know what's coming next in your life? The answer is that Jesus requires an upfront commitment of the highest possible cost. When we commit to the highest possible cost, then nothing that happens later is going to surprise you because you've already totally committed yourself to the highest, most excessive cost that there is. 
And then in verse 33, Jesus breaks the code of these parables. He gives a summary of what they mean. Look what verse 33 says. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be, everything you have, excuse me, cannot be my disciples. There's two key points when it comes to counting the cost of discipleship in this passage. And the first one is there. At the very beginning it says, those of you who do not give up everything. This is a reference. It applies to every disciple. He's not just singling out a select few. This is not just tailored to the staff of the church or the elders of the church or those who teach or those who lead in certain areas. It's for every disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything. That's the first key point. The second key point is found in the word everything. You must renounce everything. Yeah. Everything that you have to be his disciple. That doesn't mean you have to give it away. It doesn't mean that you're stripped of it all. In fact, your resources may stay under your control. You may still manage everything. But you must be ready at any time to let it go for Jesus' sake. How do we count the costs in advance? How do we look into the future? I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, let alone uh, uh, 10 years from now. How do we count the cost in advance when we don't know what the cost will be? The answer is you assume the cost could be everything. All possessions given up. All relationships. All of life given up. That's the expectation that Jesus calls for. That's why Jesus says, Count the cost. Count the cost. Like a man who won't build a tower or a king who won't go to war without counting the cost first. You see, a lot of times when we think about counting the cost, we think in purely financial, you know, arenas. But it's so much more than that. It encompasses every aspect of our lives. And Jesus is saying, Disciples are all in. If they're not all in, the question is whether they're in at all. That's what the text is saying. But there's a caveat. I want you to be sure that every single one of us get this right perspective. Because just a few paragraphs earlier, same chapter, Luke 14... Jesus said, after he laid down some pretty high costs, this is what he said in verse 14. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, there is no cost that you can pay in following Jesus that won't be made up to you a thousandfold in the resurrection. In other words, all the so-called costs and all the so-called losses, everything, and it's all encompassed with that word everything, are nothing compared to the gains of having Jesus in your life, the greatest of treasures. So if we were to summarize this whole thing, button it up into one statement, we must count the cost in order to be a disciple. Don't take a step forward in this thing until you have assessed that, to know that it may cost you everything to follow him. 
And some of you may be surprised because nobody told you that before you took that step. But the cost is everything. But in the end, having Jesus means more than everything. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.8. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, there's nothing God cannot do in and through a person who is fully committed to him. Our job is to fully surrender all that we have and all that we are to the Lord. And if we do our job, then God will most certainly do his. And the truth is that God wants to do some amazing things through you. He's simply waiting for you to accept his forgiveness, count the cost, and become one of his disciples. So what are you waiting for? You're one decision away from a totally different life. And as great as you may think your life is without Jesus, I can promise you, from my perspective, man, there is no life like the life with Jesus. The time is now. It's all or nothing. It really is. Because it's all about everything. You may sacrifice everything. We've read those stories. We've heard the testimonies. We've told some of those stories from here about people who gave everything. They lost fortunes. They lost relationships. Some even lost their lives. But everything in this life doesn't even come close to a relationship with Jesus. He's more than everything. So it's time to go all in and all out for our King of Kings. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for the reminder today, the need to count that cost, what it means to follow you. And I appreciate the honesty, your transparency in telling us that the cost is high. The cost is gonna be everything. And you call us to love you more than everything and everyone in this life. And to be honest, God, that's tough at times. That's tough at times. Some of us have drifted from that commitment. We've been following you for a while and we were all in with all kinds of zeal and passion. We first made that commitment, but it seems like time has taken its toll and we've, we've not been as passionate and we've held some things back. Lord, some need to take that first step and count the cost today for the very first time. Some of you need, some in here need to accept your grace, Lord. Have their sins washed away. Join the family of God, the promise to spend all eternity with you. Lord, you call us to give up everything, but you modeled that for us first. You gave your all. You left heaven to die in our place on the cross. We're forever grateful for that. Give us courage, Lord to count the cost as fully devoted disciples who will change the world. Give us that passion, Lord. We want our lives to exemplify you. We want our lives to reflect the very image of Jesus who held back nothing for the sake of the purpose that God had for him. Lord, will you have that same, will you have that same process, that same work in us? Lord, help us Help us to be the disciples that bring joy to you.
pray this in Jesus' name.